0: This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello, welcome to episode 186 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan, and I'm joined today by Brady and David. It is a victory pod this week, as Georgia State started 1-0 for the first time since 2019, after holding on 42-35 against FCS foe Rhode Island. We'll unpack everything, and there's a lot with that game. Move on to the Panthers' next game with the Yukon Huskies. But first, let's talk about that Rhode Island win. Like I said earlier, 42-35 victory in favor of the Panthers. All seemed well for Georgia State when they got out to a 21-7 lead, but all the nervous feels came out when Rhode Island scored 21 unanswered to take their first lead with over eight minutes left in the third quarter. The Panthers quickly responded with a sub-two-minute scoring drive capped by one of Marcus Carroll's three rushing touchdowns on the night, and took the lead back five minutes later on a pick six by cornerback Gavin Pringle in his debut for the program. Carroll got his hat trick of TDs to reestablish State's largest lead of 42-28 midway through the fourth quarter, but this time it was the turn of the Rams to strike first and make it a nervy one-score game again. But by a matter of literal inches, Carroll got to the line to gain on a fourth-and-one run in the final two minutes to clinch the win and get the Panthers off to winning ways in 2023. So, gentlemen, thoughts on this game?
1: I think it was more uncomfortable than a lot of people would have wanted. I also don't know if that's a bad thing. Like, the first thing to say is it was a win. They needed to win no matter what. Um, But I honestly think it'll age pretty well that, okay, it was the FCS team. You wanted to win more comfortably. With all that's gone on with the offseason and saying, like, this is a different team. Last year's team loses that game when... Rhode Island goes up 28 21 on that 28 um, yard catch, third quarter, 21 straight points. I'm not saying like they fold and lose by 21, but I just don't think that they make the plays uh, offensively and defensively uh, in the fourth quarter. It has to be said, defense did make some plays, even though it was certainly game film. You know, if this wasn't the first game in a new defense and they needed to absorb it, you'd use the old adage of burn the film, never watch it again. Like, they definitely need to watch it again, because there are some issues that need to correct, but I think it does speak to something being different, and while there's still a lot to correct, I think that is the first thing you can have is you can see the kind of fight back that wasn't there in key moments last year, and it's been something that they've preached all off season you know they didn't preach that they're gonna be a team that's going to beat everybody by forty they did just they did talk about how. They let themselves down in moments of adversity. And even though it got a little bit shaky there early in the second half, they didn't let this bow them. You know, they got through it. They got some key plays to take the lead again. And they did literally by an inch enough to see it out.
2: <laughs> oh, man. I I don't think that he got that uh, that last play, by the way. just i rewatched it several times. It does not look like he got them all over, but what? hey. You know, a win is a win. So I,
1: so we, sh- we can probably just start there, maybe work backwards. I don't know, just because it, it was kind of a moment. Um, I don't know is the thing with the camera being on an angle. It was really hard. I mean, the people who would have the best view were the, the refs who were right there and said it was a first down. I mean, I think the issue more, and this is something that even Rhode Island's coach talked about while saying he was pissed off about it, that just the process of how they handled it he was not a fan of. And I know that because it's one of the first things you mentioned is post game coach Elliott was not a fan of how they handled it that they, you know, they checked it. Then they double checked it. And then they did a review and he was like, well, I didn't do the review while you were checking it the second time. But, um, it is kind of the first, you know, I want to talk about the offense in a positive light, but if there's one minor thing to carry over that I'm worried about with the offense, uh, the short yardage stuff, including on that play, wasn't super, Uh, That play, obviously, they needed one and got it, probably. Um, And there was a third and two earlier in the second half that it's third and two, you're the FBS team, you want to run the ball with your mantra, and they got stuffed for a loss. I think uh, Travis Glover just kind of got beat on the play or was expecting someone to block a guy that that didn't come to block it. And it's like, this is the type of stuff that we were kind of worried about and kind of manifested itself last year. And so... I don't want to focus on that because I think the offense played as well as you needed them to scored 35 themselves, 42 as a team with the pick six, Uh, but just a little, little thread line there at the end of the game. Like there have been Georgia state teams that have that fourth and one situation come up and they get a comfortable three, four yard gain and there's no need to bring out the sticks and everyone is not having to sweat out if the referee or the replay official is going to switch stuff up. So maybe one thing to watch with the offense, but on the other hand, Darren looked good. Uh, the offensive line, especially in pass protection, was great. Um, the receivers got open. You know, there's two touchdown passes in the first half to Robert Lewis to start the game and then to Leak Williams later in the first half. Kind of a perfect play in every facet. Perfect throw, perfect route, perfect protection. Um, and Darren ended up having a really efficient night.
2: I'll echo the sentiments of the offense because I think, you know, by the by, they played really well. Um, And the other thing, too, is they weren't on the field that much. You know, I think Rhode Island did an exceptional job, you know, kind of controlling the pace. And, you know, I don't want to make it completely about the new rules. Obviously, I think there was, you know, what? 10, 15% of factor that the clock didn't stop running. But, you know, the other part of it was just Rhode Island was just really kind of methodical in their drives, you know. They got stopped on, you know, first and second down. The Panthers had a good defensive game plan. And, you know, then they would, you know, take time and pick up a good third down. And that just kind of led to the Georgia State offense having, I think, only 23 minutes with the ball. They had the ball for 23 minutes and still scored 35 points. You know, not every play was a big play. But at the same time, though, they kind of I, I really feel like they did what they wanted to for the majority of the game, even when some of the short yardage stuff wasn't working. Even when I think early in the second half, when uh, when Darren was passing, you know, there was a couple of drops and a couple of missed plays. But, you know, I still felt like they were getting whatever they wanted when they You know, when they needed to. A lot of the big explosive plays in the second half specifically were just, you know, Georgia State kind of doing that thing that you just mentioned where they said, All right, you know, enough is enough. We're an FBS team. We're just gonna play and, you know, put our guy our good guys and let them go make plays and be good guys and good football players.
1: Yeah, I mean I think that this is by some measure the worst defense that Georgia State's gonna face all year. I don't necessarily agree with that in the offense, and we'll save that for the defense section, but I think you did what you needed to. I think there were stretches where Rhode Island's defense made some adjustments, got some stops early in the second half, but having a good offensive performance doesn't mean you're going to score on every drive. That's just not realistic. Like You're going to hit some lulls. You're going to have a play where not everything syncs up, and so I can't really fault the offense on that too much. Just as is a whole it just didn't seem like Rhode Island was going to consistently be able to get some stops. And the thing that I was worried about in the first half where they just weren't running it as much, part of it was they were scoring super fast. And that was the other thing with the time of possession is the reason it was 23 minutes is they put together some quick scoring drives, namely the first one where they were up 7 nothing before you really even blinked. Uh, but as the game went on, they started leaning on the run game more. And I think Marcus Carroll's 6-3 yard run that set up the uh the final touchdown of the day for Georgia State made the run numbers look really, really good when maybe it was just like a solid run game performance. But also those 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 yards count. So you still got to 231. I think you saw lead back Marcus Carroll. And while I think you're gonna mix in some guys a little bit more, including Darren in more games the rest of this year, like how could you not see that Marcus Carroll and Kurt uh that Marcus Carroll performance and be encouraged. Like he did everything you would have asked and he did it by himself. And I'm feeling pretty bullish on me being the only one who felt like it was going to be the Marcus Carroll show Uh, through one week. It appears that they're definitely going to lean on him. And yeah, I I think that you, you saw enough of what you needed to from the offense and they're going to get tested in a bigger way by everyone left on the schedule. You know, the defensive side, You're not gonna play another FCS team with less scholarships, with less just overall talent. But that doesn't mean you can't applaud the overall what you did, because defense sprung some leaks, but I really don't think on balance the offense did anything you could really look back on negatively, especially because no turnovers. And that was the thing that I have always emphasized in games like this. Like you can't give the FCS team that big momentum play. And some of those happened the defense allowing some big shots, but there was never that thing where it was like a strip sack or a, a bad pick. The offense took control of the ball and seemed to in control all night. And I think a testament there is to Darren just being comfortable in control of everything.
2: And I will argue outside of, you know, I think there was a third down in the second quarter where Darren threw it down the sideline. Um, I believe it was an incomplete pass to Robert Lewis that – was you know you could probably argue some DPI or just, there was at least contact outside of that pass. I don't even think there was another pass where Darren even put the ball in harm's way, um, and made it close to where you know there was a guy who could intercept it. There's a couple of other passes that weren't great. Um, I think there was one over the middle that like got tipped a little bit. Um but I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that that's on dare. Like, yeah, obviously quarterback makes a better pass there. You know, the ball doesn't get tipped, but you know, I, I thought they did an exceptional job, you know, just in the turnover battle in general um, because you know, the defense found ways to make plays. I mean, you know, like you said, we'll talk about the defense, but both of the interceptions on defense were huge. Um, And you know, that's, at the end of the day, when your defense is, you know, getting kind of moved on, that's what you want. That's how you, you know, prevent points and you know you just you find ways to make plays, even if it's you know a false start or whatever that kicks, you know, forces a re-kick and a field goal that doesn't go. in. you just you got to find ways for stuff to go your way. And I think that's they did a really good job of you know controlling the turnover battle in a way that allowed them to you know stop Rhode Island in a second way.
1: Yeah, and there's another piece to this on like just the play, call, and game call side, the game plan with the running game. Like I talked about a little bit of a watch the space with the short yardage and everything, but the other part of it is that I don't think that they showed all that much as far as their run concepts. There were a couple of read option, design run type runs for Darren, but I don't remember a single counter run. I don't remember any stretch play to the outside it felt like they really leaned on their bread and butter and they weren't going to you know either from a showing it on film point of view or whatever it was. It felt like they really simplified because they felt like they'd be able to do what they wanted to against Rhode Island. And, you know, on balance with 231 rushing yards, they did, they got the big play Uh shout out Amon green coming on 12 personnel on that 63 yard run. I think more of that would be helpful with the blocking up front on these short yardage. I think definitely that's the little secret weapon that Georgia state has because we didn't see any real you know, tight end down the seam in the receiving game, but Amon Green and Chrisburg graded out as the best run blockers in week one for Georgia State. So I certainly think that if you're going to get bigger there and use those guys more, that would help with that. But aside from working in a couple of those little formational things, it really felt like they kept it simple. And so some of what I'm saying might be you know, redundant when they show some more looks in the run game and they – make the defense think about, okay, they might go this way. They might keep it with Darren and that'll open everything else up, even if it's the same call. So I do hold judgment for that reason as well. I thought, you know, even Georgia state playing Rhode Island, not feeling like it's a game they're going to run away with, wasn't going to show everything. And even in a run game, that's generally pretty simple. I still felt like they saved some bullets for the rest of the season.
2: All right. We've talked offense enough, you know, and I think the defense is probably going to be the more controversial um, side of the ball. So I'll, I'll let you lead off because I feel like I have a contrarian take on the defense.
1: I mean, it wasn't good. I, the thing that I would say is that Rhode Island has a seven-year quarterback, former power conference guy, Kaseem Hill, a good offensive line that Coach Elliott referenced, good receivers. I was impressed with the plays that they made in the receiving core there. I think that as the season goes on, the Rhode Island part of it will not age badly in that I think they're going to stay in the the ranked realm of FCS. They've got some guys, especially on that side of the ball. And where I did feel confident in saying that's the worst defense Georgia State's going to play all year, I'm pretty confident the other way in saying I don't think that's the worst offense, especially the passing game. And there just aren't that many passing units in the Sun Belt or in the remaining non-con LSU aside that are really going to look to exploit in the passing game like that. Though putting that film on tape is going to make offensive coordinators think about it. But putting that aside, I think we were worried. The one worry out of all of them was that with not having a spring practice, with not having been in this scheme before, only having fall camp to install the defense was going to mean it was a little bit slow to get everyone comfortable in what they were supposed to be doing. And you saw that. You know, Rhode Island like I said, got some players, but you also made it too easy for them. There were some plays where guys were starting way too open. There were some coverage busts. It seemed like guys over the middle, maybe the safeties linebackers were misreading where they needed to be on some plays. And it was meaning the cornerbacks were put in some awful positions where they just had to go and tackle a guy to save a touchdown from happening. Rhode Island ended up with 11 explosive plays and you know, 11 is a big number. And when you factor in that their EPA without it, their explosive plays is EPA being expected points added. It's a nerd stat. um, Negative 21.12 versus Georgia state had six explosive plays. Their EPA without explosives was just negative 0.89. So when Rhode Island wasn't getting those big chunk plays, you were doing a pretty good job. And that, Goes on to the first down, second down, pretty good. The issue was the third down. 13 of 20 defending them, and that's where three of the touchdowns happen. Uh, I I did the math. It won't surprise you. I, I, I charted it all out that you had a third and four, you gave up 40. You had a third and 10, and you gave up 19. You had a third and 14, you gave up 20, and that was one of the touchdown plays. Third and nine, you gave up 13. And it goes on. Those were some of the more egregious ones. Um, there was another third and 10 that they ran the ball and the fit wasn't right and they nearly got the first down. It got enough to where they went for it on the fourth down and got it the next play to start the fourth quarter. So there were some issues there and a lot of it's going to have to be this was game one in a new scheme or despite the fact that Rhode Island is maybe one of the more pass happy teams in the league or in the, on the schedule. It is going to cost you because those lapses can't happen in another game, but If you leave them in this one, if you clean some stuff up and don't get burned in that exact way, maybe all will work out. But I I think that there's going to be an expectation that the defense shows out in one of these games coming up. Like, I don't think the schedule really allows it to be that much of a grace period, because, spoiler alert, Grayson McCall likes to throw the ball, and that's game four on the schedule.
2: Okay, maybe our takes are not so contrarian. I mean, look, I would much rather a defense that had, you know, lockdown corners, safeties that hit hard and are bull rushers, um, or, you know, just a, a defensive line that's getting sack after sack and forcing pressure throw after pressure throw. I really think a lot of the success that Rhode Island had, you really just have to tip your cap and say that that dude who was under center was a baller, you know? And I, I think. Yes, there were things that they could have done. There were some, there were some blown plays, um, you know, they, they, by no means played a great game, um, you know, and Kasim Kasim Hill made them pay, you know, if Georgia State's cornerbacks were out of position or if the safeties were, you know, looking to do something, um, and they weren't in position, Kasim Hill absolutely made them pay, um, But I mean, look, like I one thing that I really enjoyed about watching the defensive performance was just how it seemed like they had control on first and second down. It really did take a lot for Rhode Island to, you know, they they really forced Rhode Island to earn a lot of the yards and a lot of their points. And I think that to me is the sign of a defense that can at least improve. You know, if you if you. If you talk about the the defense and say, hey, look, you know, you were getting to third and mediums in the first half, a lot of third and mediums, and they were just converting. They were finding a way, you know, a step faster for a defensive lineman or a linebacker. And, you know, Hill would have gotten a sack or, you know, a little bit of a different play design and a different read from one of the linebackers. And, you know, the running back doesn't slip out on a wheel route or whatever. I really think as the season goes on, those are some things that you can fix. As long as health is there, um, as long as you find comfortability in the defense, um, because I, I, you know, I, you know, when we were chatting about it yesterday, we talked about uh, predictability. You know, on third down, I thought the defense got a little predictable. Um, they blitzed a lot on third down, a lot of third down man blitzes, um, and I, I don't think that that's a bad thing um in terms of what the scheme was. I just think, you know, if you if you get to 13 third downs and you're kind of running the same play, like a quarterback who's been in college for seven years can see that. You know, a team with a good offensive coordinator will pick up on that. And, you know, Rhode Island made Georgia State pay for doing that. So I think, you know, getting some guys comfortable in their roles, getting, you know, more familiarity with where guys are, they clean that up and this defense could be a defense that actually is shutting people down. Um, if they just were to repeat some of what they did on Thursday of last week. Um, I want to use this moment also to shout out uh, Pringle. thought he had a really good game. Um, he... Obviously, got the the pick six, um, which was great. You know, it was a little bit of an overthrow, and he just happened to be there. But I still think he played a really good game. And you know, you still have to catch the ball. How many times have we seen a Georgia State cornerback get the ball thrown to his hands and still not catch it? um I can't remember if twenty twenty one or twenty twenty two was the like historically there has not been any interceptions year, and it was like game eight or whatever where they it got twenty twenty one. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, You know, I I remember the first couple of games that year where I think uh, there was like three or four balls thrown right at guys' hands and they just completely missed them. So, you know, I will give him his props for catching it um, and having the running lane. Um, You know, it's early season. I think there is still a chance for the secondary to be a good one. You know, they will determine how high their ceiling is. You know, there's there's definitely talent there, and I and I like the way that they rotated guys out. Um, Gonna need to see a lot more um, from guys who we expected to be starters. You know, I think I won't sugarcoat it. Tate had probably one of the worst games on the defense. Um, It just really was not good. Um, He tackled well, which is nice, Um, but that's he's you know got to be better in coverage. So.
1: Yeah, on the the first touch on the second half, the big busted play that Savage got the touchdown catch on. From what I read, and you know, I'm just a guy. I don't know what Bryce Keese's responsibility on the play was, but it looked like Bryce Keese got put in a difficult spot where running back was coming out of the backfield on a wheel route, and he went to cover him because he was going to be going down the sideline. And because of that, Savage blew past him, and Jalen Tate was not in the middle of the field where he was lined up. He had darted in towards what looked to me like a covered guy. It looked like it was somewhere where it was in the zone of Venziao, I believe it was the linebacker. And that was the common thing with just guys over the middle on some less big plays, but it also happened in some short and like medium downs. You had guys where I felt like they just had information overload. They saw someone to their left. They went for a split second that way. And that was enough space. Uh, they left the guy open in the zone. And like, that's the stuff that feels more correctable. Cause I think it's a good unit. Like, I would not have expected to sit here talking about, like, man, the linebackers needed to play better. But I think they struggled more than anyone else, them and, and Tate in the safeties. Um, it was encouraging to see Taiji Leach, who didn't start but came in and played some more reps in the fourth quarter. I think I'd expect to see more of him. And it was interesting, uh, even after that just electric pick by Cody Jones, uh, Isaiah Guy, a redshirt freshman, got some time at the star position and looked pretty good as well, graded out pretty well for PFF College. and the snaps that he got so I'd be interested to see him play more but I think that that is kind of the theme with this defense is that they are going to blitz I think you're going to need to mix it up a little bit more and you saw that with a dropping eight on that third and 10 in the fourth quarter paying off you got to stop there I think it was important to show a different look there so some of that's on stags for sure for calling a more balanced game but part of that is this is kind of the defense people wanted to see This is what they were looking, you know, people have been looking for from the Georgia State defense that was their frustration with Nate Fuquay. And so the issue is you started it in fall camp. You didn't really get a time to get into it. uh, And that excuse doesn't last very long. But I think ultimately you might get burned on some big plays. There's a lot to clean up. I don't think that's going away. I think they're going to be blitzing more. And I think as they're going to be blitzing as much as they are, they've got to get home more than they did. Two sacks and five tackles for losses, both of the sacks in the first half, that's just not going to cut it. And it's going to leave your secondary in some positions where they're having to cover way too long or they don't have any safety help over the top and it's going to put them in into trouble in that way. And so kind of a mix of everyone's got to clean stuff up, uh, but I think a lot of it is correctable. I don't know how fastly it can be corrected, uh, but... You know, it's like they say the the best improvements come between game one and game two, and Georgia State's defense certainly is going to need that to be the case. And I agree with you on Pringle. I don't think he could have really had much better of a debut because he had that pick six. He also had a pass breakup at the end zone, the snap before Cody Jones got that wonder interception. And he also came down and laid the boom on a running back one play. So he kind of factored in every part of the game uh, that a secondary is going to like a cornerback isn't going to feature in. Uh. Don't really know what else to, you know, belabor. I mean, I think we're going to have to see immediate improvements. Like you're not really going to have a grace period, even if you're going to have a couple weeks before you really get tested again with a real like fiery pass offense. But you did enough, I guess. And those two turnovers mattered. And like I say, I don't think it's a talent issue. I think that the guys who didn't play well can play better. And I liked what I saw from the new guys. Uh, we mentioned Pringle. We mentioned Leach. I think we want to see more. thought Kevin Swint and Henry Bryan had really good games. They split the first sack, which felt fitting for a situation where they were coming in and replacing the two best players. Uh, Swint also got a nice uh, tackle for loss that was pretty pivotal in the fourth quarter.
2: I thought Swint played really well. Um, I don't think he showed up in the stat sheet nearly as much as he should. But I think a lot of when I when I talked about you know g- getting to Hill and you know being a step too slow, I think there are two main players that came to mind. Um, I think Swint was very close. He was a step slow, but it was also a lot of Shamar McCollum. You know, I think Shamar was really really close on a lot of really good plays. Um, in the backfield and I think Kasim Hill just got the ball out just before you know either of them got to him so I I did I'm glad that you mentioned it because I was going to say something when you were done I, I thought they both played very well
1: and I think again whether it's the beneficiary of some crisperness on the pressure packages or just get it getting home I think they will show up more I mean I say that Kevin Swint did lead the team with one and a half tackles for loss including his half sack so it's not like he didn't show up but I think him and Bryant could be guys who put up some big you know single performance, like when Martarius Allen went crazy against ULm that one game in the uh 2017 uh past that, the other thing we haven't really touched on, I mean I don't know what else to say about the defense. I mean, needs to be better. We'll see what continues to go uh the special teams uh had you know they returned kicks. And honestly, and Coach Elliott said the same thing, they should have had a blocked punt. It was, I have never seen a play like that happen where the guy beat the punter to kicking it and just kind of tackled him. And it was it was roughing. It was an unfortunate situation where I think if he dives more low to the ground rather than towards the punter, it gets a pretty pivotal block.
2: Nobody can see, you know, you can't see me clapping. But while Brady was saying that about special teams, I clapped. The special teams looked good. Not just... You know a net you know neutral they looked good. I thought you know the kick returns you know they were smart, they were timely um you know they didn't always have anything crazy, but they got they got something they got a a little bit of extra field position um to the blocked punt, I did unfortunately confirm with my football rules guy that it was a roughing call but i think that's a dumb rule i will say i will be you know i not even because georgia state got screwed but to me that seems so silly that the guy just happened to get there before he could touch the ball. He, being a defender, makes the correct assumption like, oh, that's a live person. I can tackle him. And so, like, if the if the punter I, did see, not get the kick, I don't think that it was, wouldn't the, have been roughing.
1: I don't think it was a choice of, like, I'm going to tackle. I think he dove for the ball and just overshot it. I don't think he was thinking it's a live player I can tackle because, like, any way you slice it, that's roughing. Like, and if it weren't, then punting would be broken because instead of trying to block the punt, you just have guys out there head hunting for the punter and make sure he can't get it off. And it would, instead of punting being a thing you, you, you know, I don't know. I, I don't think it's all that black and white I, or I guess I think whichever one means, I think it's pretty clear cut. Um, I mixed up my metaphors there. I But I, what I'm focusing on is that you, uh, you called up a block that worked. You got a guy running clear that if a little bit better execution, it would have been there. And maybe that's the FCS advantage, but you know, when you're looking at Georgia State last year against South Carolina, getting P5'd by Beamer Ball and Pete Lembo at South Carolina, like when you are playing a level down, special teams should be an area where you should be better. You should have better guys that are backups, um, better guys that are playing those spots. And so execution kind of like a C minus. Uh off the line was great. Once he got near the punter, that's the way you got to clean it up. But for all that went wrong, I think the worst thing you could say is that that penalty happened. And one of the punts, there was like no hang time on it. And so the return was pretty decent from Rhode Island. And then there was a post snap penalty or a post play penalty, but like all in all, Loggins looked pretty good as a punter. Didn't have to see Rickman kick any field goals, just strictly on extra point duty. And McAllister did good on kickoffs. Like you mentioned the return stuff. He didn't give them anything or anything. To return the other way, he boomed him into the end zone every time, and that's what Coach Elliott's looking for.
2: Yeah, really, an all-around good performance. Um, you know, everybody did their job, and yeah, you know, they will be it'll be it'll be interesting to see if they can replicate it this upcoming week. Um, but that's you know, that is exactly what. You know, people have been asking for out of Georgia State. You know, really turn special teams into a positive, not just something that they do and they participated. in and, and it's you know, it's not it's not returning every single kick, like you know. And I think that is the key. Like it, you do have to be smart. There were plenty of punts that were fair caught, and you know, it's about being smart returners. It's about understanding. Okay, this is when I have a I should have a lane to do X Y Z, or okay, this ball is going out of bounds, and you know. It, for the guys doing kicks and punts, like it's about finding ways to use your leg to avoid big returns. And I think they did, like you said, I think they did a really good job of avoiding huge returns on the other side as well.
1: I guess my kind of final thought with this game is uh, we kind of wrap up this game and move on to the other stuff on the agenda. I mentioned, you know, I think last year's team loses this game, sad as it is to say. Going the other way, though, just kind of put it into what can get better. When they are up 21-3, or sorry, when they were up 21-7 and got that Cody Jones interception in the end zone, followed up with a fumble snap by Darren, a bad drive after that, there was a false start that drive that backed up an even deeper third and long, and that's when the bad punt happened where nice return, post play penalty, basically erased the net gain of getting that interception in the end zone because Rhode Island started like at the plus 32 that was the moment where they could have turned it into less of a game. And I think that the regrets you can have is you're up two scores, you had the ball. I think they could have gone there, even if they just get a field goal in that situation, take a three-score lead into the break. That's going to be a different proposition than Rhode Island getting that score at the end of the half, cutting it to one score, and being the team with momentum into the break. And it's not often you're going to get just battered in the middle eight like Georgia State did and win a game, because Rhode Island scored... Either side of the break got 14 points in the space of two and a half minutes, and then got another one six minutes after that. You got a little bit lucky in that regard, um, and that's I think the, the the place for regret is that I don't know that it had to be a close game down the stretch. And the next step for this team now that they've figured out how to win again in these tight games where they get punched in the mouth is winning on the game script better. Because I think this one could have gotten salted away earlier than it was, though. At the end of the day. The win was the main thing you needed.
2: You know, it feels good to win. You know, I think like you said, last year they probably do lose this game. Um, and you know, they found a way to they found a way to get it done, and that's really all that matters. And hopefully it leads to some, you know, greater confidence and some better play as they move forward.
1: First time one to know since twenty nineteen, as Jordan said, that was obviously the Tennessee game. So I think people will look back with more fondness on that one. But I also think the other way, the only reason we still talk about the Furman game, which was the last FCS game, it was also close one score game. The only reason it still comes up is because Darren was the other quarterback and it's a fun little story. Like the truth is, by the end of this year, we will all have forgotten that this game was what it was. All you're going to remember is that you beat Rhode Island. Like truthfully, we're going to be like goldfish about this when it's all said and done.
0: All right, so let's go ahead and move into a little bit of a Sunbelt roundup. We're going to take a very quick look around the league in terms of results from this past week of play and uh, discuss stuff that pops out us. So I'm going to go ahead and run down the scoreboard real quick for you guys. Uh, First up, the big one I'm pretty sure everybody has found out about at this point. Arkansas State losing in a huge fashion to number 20, Oklahoma, 73-0. South Alabama falling at number 24, Tulane by a score of 37-17. to 17. App State winning at home versus Gardner-Webb, uh, another FCS game. 45-24 to 24 advantage for the Mountaineers. Georgia Southern handling the Citadel at home, 34-0. James Madison defeating Bucknell, 38-3. Marshall defeating University of Albany, 21-17. to UL Monroe beating Army at home, uh, 17-13 scoring that one. Southern Miss beating Alcorn State 40-14. Troy defeating Stephen F. Austin 48-30. Old Dominion falling to Virginia Tech on the road 36-17 final score in that contest. Louisiana beating Northwestern State at home 38-13. Coastal Carolina making the long road trip out to UCLA, falling to the Bruins by a score of 27-13. And the big one this week in Sunbelt football, Texas State heads to Waco and defeats Baylor, 42-31 to 31, final score in that game. So, gentlemen, thoughts on this week's Sunbelt slate of games?
1: Yeah, I certainly was not forecasting the Bobcast to go and do the thing against Baylor. But I my thought was kind of like, if they're able to do it against this Baylor team, especially with Dave Aranda being the head coach, defensive guy it would certainly put me on alert no matter whether they won or lost. And definitely I'm on alert. Definitely. They looked really good. TJ Finley has found new life in San Marcos. Um, DJ Kinney had as good of a debut as you could have hoped for as a head coach. And it really feels like he's immediately gotten that stamp on his program signature win in the state against a rival um, that have even beaten them a couple of times in recent years. So probably felt good as well for the players who were in some of those other games They're legit and you got to kind of pump the brakes through week one week one is the biggest liar of sports basically in college football. I mean, because there are some ups and downs that don't necessarily last the whole way through the season, but I'm watching them for sure. They've got UTSA this week would be another one in state. That would be a huge one that they could pull off, but at the very least I'm interested because they are a perfect foil to the two teams that are currently slated to kind of run the West. That South Alabama and Troy, that if they're up there and they're able to score points on that defense, you know those defenses, that that's their calling card. Then they're going to be in those games because the thing that have that has you know escaped everyone last year in some of the play against Troy was just scoring on them. And so if you got a team that looks like they can score just about anyone, drop forty on just about anyone, I would be worried in those you know film rooms getting ready for those games when those are on the schedule for those guys.
2: My takeaway this weekend really was just that even when you want to count out a Sunbelt team, you know, you, you really have to start pausing uh, Texas state. you know, you touched on it. Obviously they did, you know, their thing. I was really surprised by those Warhawks, you know, beating army. And I think army might you know they've had a weird last couple of years you know the transition be, yeah it's a transition. it certainly is um but still you know i i don't know that i expected ulm to win and i mean they did like they went into halftime down 10 to 3 and scored you know outscored army 14 to 3 in the second half specifically in the fourth quarter you know that's that's very good <laughs> I i just really i think you said it great the first week does lie to people and I'm trying not to change my outlook on both of these teams, but I think also the fact that they were able to complete the upsets that they did certainly has them on my radar, at least for now. So, you know, going forward, definitely two teams that I'll be watching and, you know, kind of paying attention to. And I think the rest of the Sunbelt slate looked pretty stock. Um, Garner Webb giving App State some fits in the middle there. You know, I think that 21 point win is a little deceiving. Um, you know, Garner Garner Webb definitely hung around in that game a lot longer than I guess I would expect. So that'll be something to watch and then I got to I got to boo South Alabama because everybody was excited for that game and it was a pretty a pretty wet dud. So, you know, try again next time, I guess.
1: Yeah, I Really thought that they'd give a more game effort. I mean, I think that the truth of it is that Tulane is that team and they play Ole Miss this weekend. And that will be a fascinating watch because that's the type of game that you can kind of stack if you're trying to make a real kind of run at things and not just the New Year's Six. But past that, 8 no against FCS teams. I think not only is it good that the Sun Belt did not lose an FCS game, but from a Georgia State perspective, Georgia State fans can be happy that they were not the only ones who struggled. You know, like you mentioned, Gardner Webb was up on app in the second half and they they poured it on. The defense started getting some takeaways some stops and they pulled away in the end. Uh, but it was kind of a back and forth game there for a while. And the same with Albany was up double digits on Marshall in this in early in the second half. And they had to kind of turn it on. It's kind of the same deal with Georgia State where, they won and they gotta correct what they gotta correct, but you can't feel too bad about it because you found a way to win. But George State's perspective, not that bad that you had someone else kind of struggle because it'll it'll get you. You know, even if you're playing an FCS team, if you're not playing your best ball early, if there's stuff that's gotta get corrected, it'll show up in the early games and you still gotta find a way to win. Certainly uh feel bad for just the collective of Arkansas State. Um that one that one's brutal. Uh, I had that on my main TV on Saturday. I was able to watch the games because of the Georgia State game being on Saturday for approximately two game minutes because it was 14-0 very early. And I was like, oh dear, that's how this is going. And it kept getting more incredulous like not another one, not another one. And the thing working against Arkansas State was that Jackson Arnold, the backup quarterback for Oklahoma is the guy that I think a lot of people think might be the starter before the years up. Certainly is the future starter So it's not a traditional situation where having the backups come in is any kind of form of calling off the dogs because Oklahoma was in no interest of softening anything uh, with that quarterback battle going on. So just kind of brutal draw there. Um, Really, uh, Texas State and ULM were kind of the other ones in the, the cellar of the West where it's like, all right, you had these teams play better in week one and get some wins. Signature one in Baylor's case, uh, there's not really anything you can take positive from that for Arkansas State. And so I fear for their season um, without getting too over reading on week one. That's just brutal stuff.
0: All right. So let's go ahead and move on to this week's contest, UConn, Saturday at 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Plus from Center Park Stadium. Blackout game. The Huskies are 0 1 on the season so far, coming off of a 24 14 loss to NC State. Up in stores at the same time, GSU was stuffing out their win over Rhode Island last Thursday. It's a return for former Atlanta Falcons head coach Jim Mora, who is in his second year at the helm for UConn. He's amassed a 6-8 record for the school and led them to a surprise bowl appearance in 2022. He has an overall college coaching record of 52-38, including his time at UCLA from 2012 to 2017. This will be the team's first meeting in football with Georgia State heading up to Connecticut to complete the home-and-home home next November. So, gentlemen, thoughts on the UConn Huskies?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that it's still the situation where you look at it as a game they certainly will want to take away as a win, given their season goals, uh, given what's left on the schedule. Kind of the polar opposite where Georgia State got tested by a, a FCS team They went the other way. They hosted NC State of the ACC. And so it was kind of more of a still not an easy situation to gauge because it's not going to be their week in week out opponents. Um, Certainly one of the better defenses they're going to go up against. So it's definitely hard to judge the offense based on that one game. But just based on how they were last year, they averaged 19 points a game last year on offense it doesn't feel like the type of offense that is going to test Georgia State in the same way that Rhode Island did. And I don't mean to say good versus bad. I just think that they're going to be playing more of a style of mash it up front, try and get the run game going. than George, you know, then Rhode Island did, which I kind of think stylistically fits better, especially with how badly the past defense went in game one for the Panthers defense. So, you know, I think it will be a, major step up in defensive profile i also think that um george state's offense can provide some difficulties for what's a kind of stingy yukon defense so i'm definitely interested to see how this one plays out
2: stingy is a really good word because uh after so before september 25th last year here are the following points allowed for yukon's defense or team i should say they gave up 31 points to Utah State to open the season, three points to Central Connecticut, 48 to Syracuse, 59 to Michigan, and 41 to NC State. After September 24th, that NC State game, they gave up 20 points or more three times. Uh, once to Ball State, they gave up 25 points in the loss. Uh, Another time to Liberty, they gave up 33 points in a very close win. And then they also gave up 34 points to Army in a loss. So this defense kind of graded out last year as, you know, average, pretty on the higher end for points allowed per game. But as you see, like they, you know, as the season went on, they definitely got better. And so I'm curious. Because looking at NC State's performance against them, I mean NC State didn't score in the fourth. They, you know, they had all twenty-four of their points were between the first and the third. Um, they had a, a three-point halftime lead. Scored, you know, they scored closer to the end of the first quarter, and then they hit a field goal closer to the end of the half. But you know, I, th- I think the defense that Georgia State is going to see this week is going to be certainly tough. Uh, I don't know that it's going to be they, Georgia State won't be able to score tough. And, you know, that'll be for, you know, the offensive unit to kind of figure out and see how they want to attack things. Um, but it's it's definitely going to be probably harder to move the ball than it was this past week. Um, and, you know, that, that like I really feel like that is going to be what kind of makes or breaks this game for the Panthers.
1: Yeah, I don't even know if it's about scoring or like... My thing is, I do not think they will be able to get big chunk plays. I think they're going to have to drive against this UConn defense and earn it that way. Because if you look at their game against NC State, in an inverse to Georgia State giving up 11 explosives to Rhode Island, NC State, the ACC team, had one explosive play all game. So... They were able to get enough drives together. I think the thing that worked for them that Georgia State can probably replicate pretty well is that Brendan Armstrong, quarterback, kind of hurt them on his feet. And we know that Darren Granger can certainly be that type of guy when he's scrambling, when they're doing design runs. And so the facet that UConn is going to have to be ready for is the mobile quarterback. And we didn't really see Darren do that. Like I said, they didn't really diversify the run calls all that much in game one. I expect to see more of that. Like, I don't think you can hold back much of the running game this game. Like, whereas I think you could get away with it against Rhode Island, I think you are going to have to like show all your bells and whistles this one. But you know, that is what they're going to be prepared for. But Georgia State was scoring so quick that I can't really tell if it's a team that's going to struggle to put drives together or not, or if it was just a, a that they were getting down in what were normally going to be like eight, nine play drives were just shorter because they were getting those chunks against Rhode Island. This will be a week to kind of tell some of that. And, you know, the point about the defense can't be overstated because, you know, Jim Moore came in last year, let him do a bowl. Their points per game defensively, the last three seasons before he got there, that they played, they did not play in the 2020 COVID season. 38.5 points per game in 2021, 40.5 points per game in 2019, 50.4 points per game in 2018, going one and 11. Jim Mora is not only the head coach, but he is also the defensive coordinator for this team. And so my thing I always go to when I'm trying to evaluate head coaches, it's kind of stupid, but it's worked out as a little axiom I do so far is like how would they, their unit, their whatever specialty goes for the team. And if they're a team that doesn't do that well, I get a little bit scared. You can't be, you know, you can't overtake a defense any quicker and better than he's really done because it was dire up there The seasons before he got here, and he's kind of turned it into this is their strength of their team. And it was, you know, clearly the opposite of that in years prior.
2: I'm sorry, just to back up, you said 50.4
1: points allowed. That is the numbers I am looking at per game. Per game. And they played 12 games that year? They played 12 games. See, where you get got is when you give up 56 and you also give up 62 and you give up 49 against Rhode Island and you give up 51, 55, 49, 62, 55, and 57. Like that's going to make your average go up a good bit. When that's the majority of your schedule, you gave up more than 40 points, 50 points,
2: 60 points. That's crazy. Like I, I wish I could even add anything to this discussion. I'm just so dumbfounded by that defense total like that that's that doesn't even make sense to me.
1: yeah and i mean the takeaway there aside from just like that is absolutely insane is that it's clear that jim Moore knows how to coach and he's gotten them in one year already you know competent professional they went to a bowl game they looked good even though they didn't get the win against an acc team and so i think this will be a good test and whereas The last decade before now, UConn has been perennially one of the worst teams in FBS. With numbers like that making it clear why, they've gotten very much competent and they've gotten better to where one, not going to be an easy game, but two, it's going to be a good test and it's going to really show what they can take from the Rhode Island team playing an, an FCS defense and what they can. And then on the other side, but defensively, you just got to not have those mistakes. And we said that last pod before the Rhode Island game and went, it went pretty terribly. You had a lot of those mental lapses. You had just the breakdowns and that's what you got to clean up. But it's also going to be a team that's going to maybe test you more in the run game. I thought the run defense against Rhode Island was very good. Outside of two runs, they did not give up much. They got a 20-yard run and a 14-yard scramble by the backup quarterback. And that was it. So. I think you feel pretty okay about where the Georgia State run fits were and you're just going to have to do that again because like I say, I think this is going to be a team that's going to come in and try and do something similar offensively to what Georgia State tries to do and it'll be meaty 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 meet, meet, you know big guys up front mashing
2: And you know and I think uh Joseph Begnano, the transfer quarterback for Connecticut I think he he strikes me as a solid quarterback if unspectacular um I think Georgia State historically has done pretty well against guys like this type. You know, he's not he's going to run the ball only a little bit. You know, he's not a guy who's going to have, you know, prolific rushing numbers. You know, he's not going to throw the ball all over the yard. You know, last year I think combined rushing and you know passing, he was a touch over 2500 yards, you know, not accounting for sacks. So I I think he's definitely a guy that's shown that he can, you know, put the ball where he needs to and doesn't make a lot of mistakes, but he's also not a guy, He's, you know, it's not like they're facing Grayson McCall Um, and, uh, you know, that matters. You know, I think for the defense, you know, showcasing that the defensive line can, you know, get at the quarterback, can continue to stop the run, like you said, and, you know, another good game from the cornerbacks, like find, find some stability with Breitkwis and, you know, Pringle on the other side. Find some stability with the safeties, and you know, is Leach going to be the guy who steps forward? Is Tate just going to you know brush off the bad game that was last week? You know, I, those are the important questions that Georgia State needs to ask and you know have
1: answered. And this is the other part of like you liked what you saw from the team coming back and getting enough plays to win and fighting that adversity. The other part of that is you got to make it count that you won this game. And in as far as like. I think if Georgia State finds a way to win either of those games against South Carolina or North Carolina last year, I don't think they lose to Charlotte because I think the team is in a better place where they're not lacking for confidence. They're not a little gun shy. You know, if you go and win this game, you got to make that count in that you got a chance to be 2-0 for the first time since 2019. After that, you're going to be setting records every time you win a game without losing because that's just not been Georgia State's MO. And so if they're able to take you know, truthfully do the thing where it's like it's easier to watch this tough tape because we got the win and take all the good that they did last week, especially offensively, into this new week. Got a chance to really get things on the right track. Um, I don't know that this week is really going to make or break things, but I will say that when you look at the rest of the schedule, winning against Charlotte and winning against UConn this week will go a lot of the way to making getting six wins easier. And Certainly, no, this 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 fan base has suffered through some slow starts. Even when 2021 ended up going okay, he started out one and four. And so I think for a fan base that's struggling to continue to captivate, you know, continuing to grow at, at maybe the level people want it to, just winning every game on the schedule for a while is gonna do a lot of wonders for that.
2: Confirmed, folks. Winning helps people feel better.
0: All right. And that is all we have time for this week. But of course, we can't look at you out of here without talking about everything that's going to be happening in Georgia State Athletics this week. So here's your sports bits for the week coming up today. As of the release of this podcast, 7 p.m. And women's soccer travels up I-75 to face Kennesaw State in Kennesaw at 7 p.m. on ESPN Plus and then on Friday. Men's golf travels out to Scottsdale, Arizona for a three-day event at the Mirabelle Maui Gym Intercollegiate. They'll be there Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. While volleyball heads up to Kentucky for the EKU tournament in Richmond, facing off against Chattanooga at 10 a.m. and Eastern Kentucky at 6 p.m. That second match will be broadcast on ESPN+. Moving on to Saturday, as I said earlier, men's golf continuing in Scottsdale, while volleyball continues in their tournament. Facing Murray State at 11 a.m. And then at 4 p.m. Men's Soccer travels to Asheville, North Carolina to face UNC Asheville. That match will be on ESPN+. And of course, 7 p.m. Football hosts UConn in Center Park Stadium. Uh, that game is on ESPN+, Plus as well as WRAS FM 88.5 with Dave Cohen on the call there. Brady and I in attendance for your live event coverage. And then on Sunday, Men's Golf concludes their trip to Scottsdale, and at 2 p.m., women's soccer heads to Montgomery, Alabama to face Alabama State. And then finally on Tuesday, men's soccer travels to Spartanburg, South Carolina to face USC Upstate at 7 p.m. And that's it for your week in Panther Athletics. Hope to see you Saturday evening in Center Park Stadium to face UConn. Until then, have a fantastic rest of your week, and go Panthers!